Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Who just the children? Parents. Parents who have built a relationship from birth with that son and with that daughter. It's our calling, it's our responsibility, and it takes quality and quantity of time. Make no mistake about it. And it takes supernatural wisdom. The truth is children need discipline and God has given you a blueprint for doing it well. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young shares his message, Thou Shalt Discipline Your Children, about God's biblical model for how to discipline your children well. You won't want to miss it, so stay with us here on The Winning Walk. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Discipline Your Children. Open your Bibles, if you would. We're talking about parenting. Proverbs chapter number 13 gives us a basic principle. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And the word diligently there, the etymology of the word, it means early morning. It means from the very beginning. So we are to bring our sons and daughters under our discipline from the early years of their lives. This past week, I went to Memphis, Tennessee and spoke at a conference. I took with me a couple of our pastors, Dr. DeLoach and another pastor, and we got there old middle of the day on Monday and got a bite to eat, and I told them that I wanted to go out to some high schools and parks and malls in Memphis and take my own little personal survey. They looked at me sort of, uh, you know, wondering. But that's what I did. We went to a high school. I said, you guys wait here. And I walked up to a sign. There were about six teenagers seated there. And I went up and I said, my name is Ed Young. I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm taking my own survey about teenagers. Could we talk? And they looked at me and said, yeah, go ahead. I asked them a question like, after we had a little rapport going, I asked them, fill in the blank for me. I would like my parents to blank. You should have heard the words that they uttered. One said, stop being jerks. Another said, listen. Another said, trust me more. Another said, get me a car. <laughs> uh, another one said, all kinds of things. Two or three, and I must have talked to 50 or 60, Jim. Two or three or four of them said, I've got great parents. I wouldn't say a word to them. 
Only two or three out of 50 or 60. I, I went on a high school campus. I went on another high school campus. I talked to guys who were on the wrestling team. I went out to a park. I talked to the skaters. I talked to a football coach. I, I talked to 50 or 60 guys and gals. I went into a mall and all the game rooms and asked that same question. I discovered a lot about the teenagers in Memphis, things that I already knew about the teenagers in Houston. I know more about teenagers today than a lot of mom and dads do who are seated right here in this place. I know a lot of more about junior high kids today than a lot of junior high parents know, and you're seated right here in this place. You say, boy, you must be brilliant. Oh, no, I went out and found out and got in conversation, and they'll tell you about drugs. They'll tell you about smoking pot. They'll tell you about drinking. They'll tell you about their sexual activities. They will tell you what they do on Friday and Saturday night after the game. I know where they hang out in Memphis. I know what goes on there because being an anonymous guy from another city, they just opened up and simply talked. Uh, I talked to a teacher who had a German class in a park and they were having a picnic. And, and I talked to this coach and I asked them, you know, what's wrong with kids? And their answer was exactly the same thing. Not a thing in the world. It's their parents. Now let me say parenthetically, there can be addictive problems, chemical problems, physiological problems with kids, and parents can do an A-plus job, but there can be these anomalies here. Let me say that up front. I, I think that should be assumed, but let me say that. But having said that, by and large, the problem with our kids today, ask the counselor, ask the teacher, ask anybody who's gone through it, they'll tell you mom and dad don't get it. They're not paying attention. When I was in college, I worked at a youth director in a church, and one night I was called there in Jackson, Mississippi, to the hospital at one of our kids had attempted suicide and she was fighting for her life there in the emergency room. And when I showed up, a police officer said, evidently there's a suicide note. Would you go back with one of the officers and get the note at the home? And, and I, I got in the, the squad car. We went back. We got the note. We brought it back to the hospital. And I remember those parents walking around and they kept saying something like this. We've done our best. We've done our best. Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? You think that's brand new? Parents miss it? They miss their supernatural assignment to be godly parents, to be wise parents, to be participating parents, to be active parents? Do you think that's a new thing in our culture? Not at all. If you take your Bible, open it with me to the book of 1 Samuel. There was a man by the name of Eli. He had two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. And Hophni and Phinehas, we're going to find out what kind of boys they were. And their dad was a God-fearing priest. Listen to what happened to Hophni and Phinehas, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 12, 
The Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. The word worthless there in some translation will say son of Belial. Belial. And that means sons of hell. An accurate modern translation would say Hophni and Phinehas were hell raisers. That's what that says. They were hell raisers. And look what else the Bible says about these two boys. Flip over, or it's in the same chapter, rather, in chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel. He knew what was going on with his boys and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway in the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? the evil things that I hear from all these people. Know my sins, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, they were guilty of blasphemy and lack of reverence toward God. Who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Here these two sons were irreverent. They were hell raisers. They were immoral sexually with women who came to the temple. And look what happened to them. Look over in verse chapter number 3, verse 12, another commentary. 1 Samuel 3, 12. In that day I will carry out, this is God speaking, against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to the end. For I have told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for, why was Eli's house being judged? The iniquity which he knew, the garbage which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Eli did not discipline his children. So he couldn't run around saying, where did I go wrong? I wonder where I went wrong. I wonder what happened to my boys. The Bible tells us he should have known he didn't discipline his children. Now let's ask some basic questions about discipline. First of all, who disciplines children? I'm taking it real slow. It's those that love this child the most, care for this child the most, reach out to this child the most, who really want this child to grow and be all that son or daughter can become. That's who disciplines the children. It's the parents. It's our calling. It's our responsibility. It's a part of the job description when we bring life into this world. The parents are to discipline the children. Now, let me say in the beginning, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. I may use them interchangeably for purposes of today, but you need to understand that. Discipline happens to be the, the rules, the regulations, the parameters that are drawn. Uh, th that happens to be the whole area of discipline. Punishment 
It's what parents do when those rules are violated. See? Discipline happens to be the rules, happens to be the parameter, and then punishment is what the parents do when children cross over that barrier, cross over those principles, break those rules. Now, we have all kind of parents who discipline their children. First of all, there's autocratic parents. Autocratic parents. This is the parent who is the dictator. This is the parent who steps up there and says, it's my way or the highway. And you know what children hear from autocratic parents? They hear, you do it my way or else. Now, autocratic parents are strong on discipline, but weak on relationship. Strong on discipline, weak on relationship. And parents say, this is what you do. Why? I'm your mom. I'm your dad. This is the way we do it. Period. Selah. End of debate. Autocratic parents. That's one type of parent who disciplines. And then there are permissive parents. A permissive parent would be someone who was weak on discipline, but they would say strong on relationship. Weak on discipline, strong on relationship. Now, the truth is, that's really not what a permissive parent is all about. A permissive parent says, I love my kids so much. They are so special and precious to me. I just can't, you know, I can't punish them. I can't deal with them. I, and I didn't have a lot when I was coming up, and I want them to have all these things. And you know what, children, how they read a permissive parent? Children says, I can do anything I want to do. That's how they read that. And, and permissive parents have children who manipulate them, and they use them, they play games with them, they, they pout when they're young, they, they, they say they don't love you when they speak, they teenagers, they grow up and say, I hate you, and they play games with mom and dad in order to make sure they run the show. Permissive parents actually do not love their children. If you love your children, you will pay the price and carry out the cost of disciplining them. Love is not the opposite of discipline. The opposite of love is the third kind of parent we find. Not only the autocratic parent, not only the permissive parent, but the indifferent parent. And the indifferent parent is weak on discipline and weak on relationship. The indifferent parent is one who just doesn't care, and that's what the children hear. The children hear from a parent who is indifferent, they say, they do not really care. No one really cares about me. If they cared, they would draw some lines. And you've got many kids who are rebelling today, and they just see how far they can push the envelope because parents, from their perspective, are indifferent. They say, here's the money, here's the car, here's the babysitter, here's the daycare. I want to do my own thing. I'm having too much fun, too much pleasure. I can't spend the quality and the quantity of time with you and they appear to their children to be indifferent because they are indifferent. There's the fourth kind of parent we find. That's the relational parent. The parent who builds a relationship with the children. Remember our basic 
principle we started on, we talked about parenting. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. That's right. Discipline without relationship leads to rebellion. What else did we discover? Expressing love without the giving of time leads to anger, leads to anger. And a lot of children today are angry, and, and a lot of children today are in rebellion because the parents have not assumed a biblical role as to what they are to do and what life is all about. You see, if you have a parent who is autocratic, for example, a child responds in one of two ways, fight or flight. They just fight that mom, they fight that dad, and, and there's a constant battle going on. The other hand, there's flight. You say they leave home, oh no, they stay at home. They just go underground, stealth. They just sort of are there. They just play the game, they get along and all to go along, and they just kind of waltz through everything, and they're present. And the bottom line is mom and dad hadn't figured it out. They're there, and they're saying the right things, they're doing the right things, but they are in absolute rebellion because mom and dad have been so autocratic and so hard, or so indifferent, or so permissive. Who disciplines children? Parents. Parents who have built a relationship from birth with that son and with that daughter, and it takes quality and quantity of time, make no mistake about it, and it takes supernatural wisdom. You say, well, where do they discipline the children? In private, not in public. You, you don't reprimand harshly. Uh, you, you don't punish in front of people from a very, you take that son or daughter out of the room. Also, it gives you a chance sort of to settle down yourself. <laughs> you know, buy some time, take a walk, right? Because one thing that is a tragedy, when I disciplined my boys when I was anger, I'll tell you the discipline overrode the mistake that they had made. The discipline was so out of focus and the statements I made were so Overdone. You'll never drive a car again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to send you to school up in the far reaches of Canada in the tundra, and we won't see you until you graduate if you don't. <laughs> I know none of you ever did anything like that. <laughs> so it's very important we back up and wait and cool off and never discipline a son or a daughter when we're angry, when we're out of shape. So we ask the question, who disciplines? Parents. Where do they discipline? Let me tell you the atmosphere. You ask any cattle rancher, where's the best place to raise that cattle? Where's the best place to grow cattle? And they'll say, not in a corral. Why? Like, you know, a corral would be a good place to raise cattle. Oh, no. You have to attend to them every second. You know, you have to feed them. You have to water them. They're in close proximity to one another. The best place to raise cattle is not in a corral. Oh, the best place to raise cattle would be in an open range, no fences. 
and just let them wander out and have all this land. And that would be the ideal way to raise cattle. Wouldn't oh, no, that's not the ideal way because they wander off. They get in bogs. Predators get them. You can't count them. They're missing. You don't know how many are out there. You don't know what's going on. That's not the best place to raise cattle, way out there. Where's the best place to raise cattle? It's in a large pasture with a fence around it. You, you, you know, here we are. Where's the best way to raise kids? Autocratic parents just put them in the corral. I want to see them. I want to count them. I want to run their life every day. We put them in a corral. Autocratic parents. Permissive and indifferent parents says, just let them run. Put them out in the open range and boy, just give them and, and tell them how great they are and get them out of your hair and move them on out and just let them go out there. What happens to that? The predators get them. The predators get them every single time. Where do you raise cattle? You, you put them in a fenced-in area. You put them in a pasture. Where do you put your kids? You want to raise them in a fenced-in area, but what you want to do as they grow and mature, you keep moving those fences. You give them more freedom, more responsibility. They make more decisions because they have built your trust. But there are fences there, and the fences are the boundaries, the regulations, the principles upon what you and your wife and your husband have firmly agreed upon. See? The parents must be together in the area of discipline and the area of punishment. So that's what you want. You want a pasture in which as they develop through the years, you're moving the fences farther and farther, giving them free range because they can get water for themselves, they can feed for themselves. If they're cattle, if they're children, you can watch them, but you let them grow in development as you expand those rules and expand the area in which they can move and serve and live. See how it works? Now you ask the question, why do we discipline our children? Quickly turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, James. Hebrews chapter number 12. Why do we discipline our children? Quickly, this says how God disciplines us. If you are a Christian, God disciplines you and disciplines me. And by the way, a sign that you're a Christian is that God will discipline you. See? God disciplines his own sons and his own daughters, but also this is quoting Proverbs 3, which tells us how to discipline children. Number one, why does God discipline? Number one, we have, look at verse 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. When you discipline your children, you know what this says to your son or your daughter? My mom and dad, they really love me. That's what it says. Discipline is hard work, ladies and gentlemen. It's exacting. It's full time. It's demanding. And when you discipline your children, you're saying to them, I know my mom and dad loves me. When you do not discipline, it says the very opposite. You're indifferent, you don't care. Why else do we love our children? Look at it. It is for discipline, verse 7, that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? When you discipline your children, you're saying to them, you're in the family. You're a part of my family. You're in my circle of love and concern. You have high priority there. Next to your mate, your children have highest priority. God, mate, children. It tells them you're in the family. Look down in uh, 
Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and life? Discipline builds respect. Your children will never respect you. They'll never honor you unless there's discipline there. Look at the next thing it says. For they discipline us for a short time as seen best for them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. He disciplines us for our good. Discipline builds character. People run around, we want to educate our kids. We need character education. The way you educate children and build in character is you discipline them. You put parameters down. This isn't necessarily punishment now. This is parameters. You build that fence. They know exactly the terms of that fence. The fifth reason that we discipline, look at it. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The latter part of verse 11 tells us that discipline, why do we discipline our children? It is life-changing. Life-changing. We discipline our children, we tell them we love them. We discipline our children, we say, you are in the family. We discipline our children, it builds their character. We discipline our children, it builds respect for us. We discipline our children, it is a life-changing experience for them and for the parents. That's why we do it. Who disciplines? Parents. Why do we discipline? Hebrews 12 tells us clearly. And then we move out and we ask some other questions. And we say, when we discipline, we've already answered that. When do we discipline? When we have cooled off. We have calmed down. We've counted to 10 or to 10,000, whatever it takes. And we discipline them only when we are in relationship with them. If you don't have a real relationship with your son and daughter, you're not qualified to discipline them. There has to be a relationship. You say, well, I'm their daddy. Oh, that's not enough. There are a lot of biological fathers running around. Oh, I'm their mother. Oh, there are a lot of biological mothers running around. I'm talking about you have crawled inside their heart. You've crawled inside their lives. You know how they operate. You know what makes them tick. They know without question that you love them and care for them unconditionally. And there's trust and there's nurture built in. In other words, there's a relationship. There are people you can talk very honestly with because they're your friends. You're inside their heart. You know them. They know you. They know where you're coming from. If you don't have a friendship like that, you can't shoot straight with anybody, especially is this true with parents. When do we discipline? We've calmed down, first of all, and we make sure we're in a relationship. Now, we come out, we ask, well, how, how do you discipline? What are the many ways that you discipline? It says, spare the rod, spoil the child. What are we talking about? Let me talk about ways in which we discipline. First of all, there is verbal discipline. You discipline with words. My mother was Phi Beta Kappa in verbal discipline. I wish she'd gone out and got the switch or the paddle or the belt, anything. Man, just don't talk anymore. Time out. I give up. I surrender. <laughs> Verbal discipline is a way that we discipline. We say we are to rebuke, we are to discipline. Part of this is verbal. You deal verbally with what's going on. And that is a very, very effective weapon 
verbal discipline. Another kind of discipline is grounding. You are grounded. In other words, this may be they'll not be able to take the car this weekend. This may be they have to, uh, they have to go to their room. It may be that, you know, uh, no, no media kind of entertainment. There are all ways that we ground our children. We are grounded and we back them up. It, it's a, we, we say you can't operate in this area. We ground them. Another way is time out. People say time out. You know, you, you cool down, you sit down, you can't play any longer. And all of this is according to age and maturity and agenda and situation and parameters. All that's the relatives there. It's all relative there. And by the way, I'll not be exhaustive on this subject. You know, people, well, you didn't mention her. You've, hello. Nobody's going to be exhaustive on any subject in a, in a period of time that we're limited. So let me say, first of all, to all of those who have all different views of discipline, this isn't going to be the final answer, the summa bonum of all discipline things. Oh, no, I'm just putting down some basic stuff. So there's verbal discipline, there's grounding, there's timeout, and then there's hands-off discipline. So what in the world is that? Oh, it's the biblical principle that's so true in life. It's let the sowing and reaping take place. It's hands off. Finally, you've encouraged, you, you, you've, you've coerced, you've advised, you've pointed out, you, you've gone through all the rigmarole, and finally they continue in this activity, and you just take hands off. Remember one of my boys, we're at a picnic, and, and he was just a little guy, and he kept wandering off, and Joe Beth brought him back, and I went and brought him back, and he wandered off, wandered off, and we talked to him and, you know, took him to the side and did a little personal work with him. And, and, and then we, he, kept, he kept just wandering off. And finally, Joe Beth says, would you believe it? He's running off again and going to the woods. I said, let him go. And so I just let him wander off in the woods, and boy, I went over the side. I watched him. He was never far away, and he wandered down this little path, and he was just wandering around. He'd pick up a leaf and a stick by himself. He just wandered off, wandered off. Finally, I said, mm-hmm, I just watched him. And he looked around. All woods, didn't know where he was. And I said, mm-hmm. And he just started whimpering a little bit and wandering around. He ran a little bit, and I was right not far away. I let him, he never saw me. Finally, he really got to me. He said, I'm lost, lost. I went up to him. I said, uh-huh. That's what happens. See, that's letting natural results take place. Let's just blow that up and expand it. In high school, one of my sons, I told him in this particular course, if he didn't start studying and doing his homework, and getting things right, he was just cruising for a time in which he would be academically ineligible to play right in the middle of the season. Oh, well, that would never happen to him. I mean, my goodness. It happened. And all of a sudden, I just let the natural consequences of his lack of discipline, lack of study, not heeding the warning of his teacher, of his mom and dad, and sure enough, he sat on the bench through two very crucial games, and he happened to be a player. Natural consequences. That's hands-off. But also there's hands-on discipline. That's another kind of discipline. And we're talking about not using your hands. We know you use spoons. You, you, you use paddles. 
You use belts that's age appropriate for your son and for your daughter and gender specific in that situation. You never hurt anyone or bruise anyone or bring fear to your child because of the punishment that will be there. But I think that must be an option. And every child is different in this. So you have to understand how they're wired. You have to understand what they take. The main purpose of corporate punishment is when you get to the point they, they go out so far, you have to explain to them exactly what's going on. Let me tell you where we make a mistake here. A toddler. The baby begins to crawl. The baby begins to toddle around and, and, and heads immediately for the base plug, right? You say, well, I'm going to discipline, and, and you begin to spank them. That's stupid. You say, well, why? Oh, they'll get home. Let me tell you something. Children, when they learn to move around and go places on their own, they're just becoming scientists. They're explorers. They want to see the world. They want to touch that that's on the counter they can reach. They want to reach out and grab that. You have to go, raise your voice, move them away from it, raise your voice, move them away from it, and you've got to be consistent. By the way, that's the most important word in discipline is consistency. Consistency. Mom and dad had to be consistent. Grandparents come in, they had to be consistent. Somebody keeps the kids, they had to be consistent. No exception. Consistency is the most important thing. And before long, they discover when they go over there, you raise your voice. Mom, dad, that's not what I'm to do. That's dangerous. You move them away. Now, as they get older, you move into the paddling stage. You move into the spoon stage. And I moved into the belt stage with my boys when they got older in order to point out to them. Now, before you discipline in a corporate way or any way, they have to understand what they're being punished for. This whole thing. Well, you know, sometimes they don't. Even older kids. So they have to understand clearly what they're being punished for, and you should have exhausted, I think, most of those other channels. You see? You, you've gone through the verbal, you've probably gone through the grounding, you've gone through the timeout, and now you move up, and now you have to do a little applied discipline. And sometimes this has been very, very effective with my boys. Uh, I remember we were going home one Christmas from North Carolina back home to Mississippi, and we'd driven about 283 miles. It had been in the back seat, and I'm telling you, it was bedlam back there. Joe Beth had spoken to them. I had spoken to them. I mean, we had threatened. We, we told them to calm down. I mean, they were pushing and fighting and, and arguing. And they, they, every minute, every second, and finally, I had gone as far as I could. I had put down all the ultimatums, and I stopped the car right in the middle of the freeway. Everything got quiet. I said, get out. I put them over the hood of the car just like this. <laughs> and I got out my belt. I didn't harm them, but I stung them pretty good. <laughs> they got back in the car. We drove all the way to Mississippi. It was a pleasant trip. <laughs> we stayed there for a week. Moonlight and roses. Drove all the way back. We had no problem with those guys. And they remember it to this day. <laughs> now, let me share something else with you about discipline. You discipline children differently. 
With my older son, Ed, he didn't understand anything except corporate punishment. I mean, it was the paddle, it was the belt, it was all out, knock them down, drag out. He didn't get the message until pain was inflicted. <laughs> not severe, I'm not bruising or brutalizing anybody, relax. That was the way he was wired. My middle son, Ben, he didn't have as many paddlings as Ed did. In fact, when he got in trouble, usually because he was with Ed. Because <laughs> you could use logic with Ben. He understood. You could explain and he, he would see it. With Cliff, he was so sensitive that you could just speak or look and he was broken immediately. He saw it. So with Cliff, we, we used almost none of the corporate discipline, if any. With Ben, very limited because they're associated with Ed. With Ed, it took hold. See, they're different personalities. Now, let me tell you something. If I had disciplined Ben and Cliff the way I had to discipline Ed, I would have broken, non-functioning, right? Their spirit would have been taken out of them because it would have been an overreaction. I would have been too harsh. I would have been too cold. Joe Beth and I both, if we had disciplined Ben and Cliff with their sensitive nature the way we did Ed, see? But we didn't do that. Now, with Ed, if we had disciplined him with a kind of, you know, glance or just a gentle touch or just a word of rationale, you know, it wouldn't have worked with Ed. But one good thing, if we disciplined Ed the way we did Ben and Cliff in a gentle way, when he needed a more severe way, the good thing about it, when I go to see Ed today, I wouldn't have to drive to Dallas. I would have been able to stop in Huntsville. So it has to be age-specific. You have to consider gender. You have to never do harm, but you have to do it with understanding. And let me tell you something. I never once disciplined my boys in a corporate way that I didn't cry when they cried. Always. I don't know why. I'm just wired like that. And I, I would give them a chance to recover and, and they would talk something about repentance and I'd ask them, make sure they knew what was going on before I disciplined, make sure they knew why they'd been disciplined. And then I would always, at the right time, not immediately, I would hug them and love them and there would be a gentleness there and there, parents, is a wonderful time. There's a little window there, Shh, a little window, when you can teach wisdom. Right there. Appropriate to the child, appropriate to the age, appropriate to get the brokenness and understand what's happened and understand they've gone beyond that fence that you and your mate have, have, have drawn for them. And this is how we have hands-on discipline and we do it very carefully and very prayerfully and according to the personality and the, what has gone wrong. By the way, the, the discipline has to fit the crime. You understand that? Has to fit the crime. Here's all. You didn't brush your teeth. You're not going to play in the championship little league game on Friday either. <laughs> you see, we, we discipline too severely. We discipline too severely. And when you discipline too severely, you know what happens? That's when the son or daughter says, Mom, Dad, you're mean, and you are mean. It's a valid charge because the discipline didn't fit the offense. You see? That's very important. And that's when you have to back up, cool down, and think about it. And think about it. Now we come to the most important question about discipline. What do you discipline? 
Oh, yeah. We know who disciplines, right? We know where we discipline. We know why we discipline. We know when we discipline. We know how, the methods of discipline. Well, what do you discipline? Two principles. Number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. You say, what are you talking about? Illustration. Headache, long day, drove home in the traffic, 30 minutes, arrived, went up the driveway, bang, a bicycle right in the middle of the driveway. Stopped the car, got out, picked up that bike that was so precious, I'll put it up every night, and you take it and you put it in the garage, you get back in the car, you go around in, you go in the garage, you stop again, bang, there's fishing rods right in the middle of the garage where you park the car. You stop the car, get out, put the fishing rods up, get in, pull in, and you go in the back door and it's open about this much. It's not even closed. Once again, your children are trying to air condition all of Houston. <laughs> it's tough to do, but they keep trying it and the door is open. You go in and you quietly shut the door. And you walk in, and there on the breakfast table is a sandwich. And, and, and what they've eaten, he, he ain't coming home with school. And there's, there's peanut hulls on the floor, and there's, there's jelly all over everything. And the whole place is, is in a wreck because he ate just one sandwich and, and drank two or three pops at the school. And, and you go in, you walk through, and you trip, and there's the pack of all the books in it. And you, and you go immediately to his room, and when you open the door, it's like going into a gymnasium that hadn't been opened for several months. I mean, there's clothes everywhere, there's socks, there's pops, there's, there's music, there's penance. I mean, it looks like a disaster area. And you go in and the television set is on and he is lying in the bed. He knows it's not to be on until he's done his homework, by the way, but he's lying in bed, shoes off, head back, behind his arm, watching TV. And when you come in with a million dollar smile, he says, how's it going, dad? <laughs> What do you do? <laughs> no, you don't sweat the small stuff. Anything that you experience coming in, would you call any of that big stuff? So you better save your heavy artillery. So what you do, you enter in conversation. How's it going? What's doing? Da, 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 da. And you talk, listen, talk. After a while, you say, son, come on, we're going to go for a little walk. And you take him out and say, guess what was in the driveway here? Bicycle, huh? What was it? Oh, my fishing tackle. I went across the street fishing. And the doors, the door, it must just bounce. Something's wrong with the door. <laughs> and you go through all of that, the rules, the principles, the regulations, the TV, and then you decide how you're going to deal with it. But you deal with it calmly and serenely and positively creatively and honestly. See, not like I messed up so many times. You got it? That's, don't sweat the small stuff. But having said that, let me say there's some big stuff that parents need to sweat. You say, what is the big stuff? It deals with three areas. Morality, what's right and what's wrong. Second area, ethics how they live their life, how they carry out. Third area, where there is physical consequences. You can't drive that far. You, you can't go away. You can't go that fast. Physical consequences. In those areas, you draw the battle line and you bring out the heavy artillery and you deal with those situations 
clearly and directly and you go in the battle to win without any question. You win that mom, you win that dad, you win that confrontation. You win decisively. You know, what are you talking about? I can't name everything. I'm talking about drugs. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about sexual promiscuity. I'm talking about profanity. I'm talking about a lack of respect for others. I'm talking about lying. I'm talking about cheating. I'm talking about stealing. I'm talking about duplicity. I can't name the whole list. You know what the list is. And when they run around with shirts on that display all the vulgarity we have in a lot of our music and the rappers and the rock, you better get on guard. You better open your eyes and open your heart because your son or your daughter is in trouble or they soon will be in trouble. But you don't bring out the heavy artillery every time something flies over. You got to understand the small stuff. You got to understand the big stuff. Morality, right and wrong. Ethics, lifestyle, how they live, who they're with, and things that will get them in trouble physically, physical risks. You deal with those. In that area, you'll find big stuff. Bottom line, parents, the power and the grace of God, using wisdom that he only can give you, Discipline your children. Pay attention. Discipline your children. Our Heavenly Father, forgive me when I have failed so often to separate the, the big stuff from the little stuff. Forgive me when I didn't back up and cool off and put things in perspective as I discipline my sons. But Father, have all the parents here and the grandparents here to begin to understand your method of discipline which involves true love and genuine rules in order to build the right stuff into our sons and into our daughters. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.